0: Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. So glad to be with you this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 3. And we're going to finish out chapter 3 today. What I, I love about the book of Mark is is that he's, he's giving us this this view of Jesus that that continues from from the very beginning of the book throughout of, of just seeing um, who he is and and the reason that that we need to see him for who he is is because he affects so many aspects of our life um, that that he he 's about changing us he 's about sustaining us he 's about giving us new life. And, and all of these things are found in the nuances and these, these small moments in this book. And Mark, um, he, he briefly hits on these things and, and, and kind of these little short stories that go together to help us to see just another aspect of, of who Jesus is and, and why he came. Last week we saw that um, he, he continued. I mean, Mark's been saying from the very beginning he's going to establish that Jesus is the Son of God that he is the Messiah, he is the sent one, he is the one who can save and will redeem his people. And we saw that the opposition last week were coming against him, um, that the Pharisees and the religious rulers, they wanted to say, Jesus, you don't fit into our, our viewpoint of what, what the world should look like, what religion should look like, where salvation should fit. And so because you don't fit into that, we're just going to continue to push you away. This week we'll see this this. Um, these stories kind of fit together in that um, the opposition towards Christ is, is just slowly rising. And it's not just the religious leaders, but it's, it's some of his closest family and friends. And, and these things are coming and, and creating some hardship for Jesus. But throughout all of this, he stays kingdom-focused, that he's come with a purpose to, to deliver a message of the gospel, of the good news of the kingdom of God coming to earth, being established. And that's good news for all of us because it's, it's a kingdom that we're all invited into. And so in the last of the chapter, we'll see that that this is, a, this is what we are to focus our eyes and our minds on as we see that, that life will come in on us. But if we can just stay kingdom focused, if we can understand that Jesus has a plan and a purpose for each one of us, and that he's drawing us into that, he's pulling us into that, I believe that there's so much encouragement in that. There's so much peace and rest to be found in who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. I remember a a few years ago um, traveling in in an airplane. Does anybody like flying or hate flying, maybe I should say? Uh, I I have mixed emotions with, with flying. Um, sometimes, like, I, I love it. I love to get on a plane and be where I'm going as quickly as I can get there. Um, but sometimes I just don't like to be that person that's out of control. Like, I just have to sit there and let somebody else take care of things. I don't know if anybody else feels that, but it gives me a little, a little bit of anxiety. And I remember years ago when I was first flying, um, that anxiety was a lot more because I just really didn't know what to expect. And I, I remember this one time I was, I was on a flight by myself, and, and I, I was anxious about it. I don't know why. I was more nervous than normal. And, and of course, this flight is just full of turbulence. I mean, it, is just, I mean, it feels like we were just shaking. We were bouncing all over the place. And I'm going, like, in my mind, I'm just freaking out at this moment. I'm like, what is going on? And I'm thinking, okay, like, it's time to move the plane. Like, let's get under it. Let's get over it. But, like, let's stop going through it. And the whole time I'm thinking this, and this goes on for like an hour. And I'm, I'm sitting here and the passenger by the wing watching the wings bounce up and down and just watching all this chaos and in my mind it's just the anxiety is rising. And I realized that although my anxiety level is going up when I, I looked at the people who were in charge in the plane the, the flight attendants they were just going about like everything was normal. And when I began to like Watch them I realized like as long as they didn't seem nervous everything seemed okay have you ever felt that, that that sometimes there's something that we can just say when when I can see this and see that that it's still in control that even though I feel out of control that that you see that this is normal and everything's okay so you can just continue doing what you're doing and I think that's what we see here in Mark chapter 3 is that Jesus says yeah everything's may be out of control for a little while that there may be these moments, Jesus Himself faced these moments. But the reality of it is, we have someone to focus in on that we can know when everything's in chaos. we just keep looking to Jesus, and and we keep our minds and our hearts focused on Him and His kingdom and His kingdom work. And so that's what we'll see here today in Mark chapter three, starting verse seven. I'm going to read just the first story, and then we'll. We'll pick up on the other ones as we go through here. it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and the great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Let's pray. Father, we just ask in this moment right now, Lord, as as we read your word and as we look at these stories, that you would just... Um, speak to our hearts. Let, let the truth of your word be the thing that, that just continually um, Lord, just, just resonates in our souls and our minds. And God, that we could just um, know what you have for us today. Let us hear that message. We pray this in Jesus' name. So we see here the crowd begins to follow Jesus. Excuse me. Um, the crowd begins to follow Jesus. Jesus withdraws. So we know that Jesus had just healed a man with a withered hand. We talked about that last week. And, and he, he told him to reach out his hand and he gave that great, I think, invitation to, to all the ones around him to say, like, hey, I'm still here to be able to do these things. But what the religious people did is they came against him. They, they ran away, got with the political leaders, said, we're going to kill this guy. And we're going to stop all of this because we don't trust what he's doing. And so he he withdraws to the sea. He he goes out, and these crowds begin to follow him. And what we see here is is that Jesus was a figure in this moment in time that people wanted to be around. That that he had um, this charismatic personality. Like I think sometimes we think Jesus was kind of boring, and that's not the case. People were were rushing after him. Of course, they were um, partly because they wanted to, to see what he was all about. They were doing it because they had problems and ailments and they needed heal healing. And But Jesus was a person that people wanted to be around. We saw this when the disciples would follow him, and we'll see it again here in just a few moments. But these crowds began to gather. His name started spreading throughout this region, and people were coming from everywhere. So much so that the problem was, that he was afraid that he might get crushed by the amount of people that was coming to him. So he tells his disciples, go get a boat. And said, if it gets so bad that, that I am beginning to be crushed here, that we can um, jump on this boat and just kind of move away to safety. That, that's where he's at in this moment. That's, to me, there's, there's several things about that. Uh, there's probably a lesson in ministry about um, when it feels like it's about to crush you, make sure you have a boat to escape or something. But but the reality of it is, um, that's, that's not what this is about. It's not about the boat. It's about the person of Jesus and what he's accomplishing. He's doing this unbelievable things for the kingdom of God. And people want to see it. They want to see what Jesus is all about. They want to see that he can take care of their every need. That, that when you go to him, he, he will be who he says he is. Um, these stories that they're hearing this cause them to rush in and want to see Jesus. Even the demons in this story, in this part of the story, call out that he is the Son of God. They recognize Jesus in his ministry. That says they fall down before him and they cry out, "You are the Son of God." And we see that that Jesus ministry, even in this moment, is, is just drawing people to himself. Now, I, I wish that people could still have the opportunity to see Jesus in that light, but that's the Jesus of Scripture, one that that draws people in, one that is worthy of us fixing our eyes on, one that is, is worthy of of coming so close to that, um, that, that he feels the pressure of the people, but that's who Jesus is. In fact, the 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 beginning of, of the issue here for him, the problem is that um, that his name is being so famous and that so much is happening around his ministry is that it, it it's exhausting that it, it's wearing him down that um, that that he's afraid that it, his his physical um, life is at harm. It shows the humanity of Jesus so he's not just here as as deity god's son, he's here with that authority, but he is a person. In the flesh, ministering to people. And so we see this, this issue of the, of the crowd that's just bearing down on him. That's so much so that in the next part, Jesus withdraws. He has to kind of back away from this in this moment. And it talks about um, in verse 13. And it says, And he went up on the mountain, and they called to him those who he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed the twelve whom he also named the apostles, so they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. And they have authority to cast out the demons, and he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, um, to to whom he gave the name that um, the sons of Thunder, and Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So what we see here in this picture is that, that Jesus going from the, all of these people just coming to him and wanting to see what Jesus is all about and this ministry that's happening to, to being so overwhelmed that he kind of backs up, and what he does is he, he calls out specifically 12 men to be with him. I think there's a pattern for ministry here in this passage. There's probably a whole other sermon that you could talk about this because ministry is not meant to be done alone. Uh, John MacArthur says you can see that from the beginning in chapter 2 when he first calls his first disciples all through the book that Jesus is pulling these men in to walk with him and to be with him and to train them up and so that they can uh, be about the, preaching the gospel and the kingdom of God. And so we see this here that Jesus, in the overwhelmingness of, of the ministry and the things that are going on, he says, I need these 12 with me. And he calls these specific men. I love what it says here. It says that Jesus calls whom he desired. And he called to him those whom he desired. He doesn't say that he, he looked at these men and saw their resumes, and he picked these 12 out from all these other people that were following him because, because they were the greatest men. It says that Jesus called who he desired. Because what was going to happen in those guys' lives is Jesus was going to do an amazing work. Like, he was going to be the one that transformed their lives. He was going to be the one that, that uses them, that, that here he calls them apostles, um, ones who are sent out, commissioned by God for a purpose. And that, that's what we see here is Jesus is, is calling these men to come alongside him throughout his ministry and being sent out with a purpose. And it says here to preach the gospel, to, to preach and to um, even cast out demons, to, to do the work of the ministry that's going on that Jesus is a part of right now in establishing his kingdom reign here on earth. What we see here is that, that Jesus pulls people in when the ministry is a little bit overwhelming, um, but he doesn't stop the ministry. Even when they are oppressing him, he doesn't say, hey, we need to just back away from all these people. He says, give me a boat, just that my, there's a way of safety. But here he he brings them in to, to be a part of this. But even those who are closest to him, I believe that very last part is is a warning. Here's the issue, he says, that and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Even the ones who are closest to him, this is his disciples, his friends, the, the, the obstacle, the opposition for Jesus here is that even those who are closest to him failed him. Do you know that even the disciples didn't fully understand who Jesus was even after walking with him and being with him and even being commissioned by him to go out and do these amazing things? You know, at the cross, there were not 12 disciples standing there waiting for him, they were scattered. They were running. They were fearful for their lives. They weren't sure what was exactly happening. They, they he didn't completely understand all that Jesus was doing until after the cross. You even see Dowling Thomas, who says, like, I've got to see your scars. You have to show me you are who you said you are. And that's when the the empowering and the belief really happened for them, is that they saw Jesus come back from the dead. And he was all these things he said he was. But until that point, they didn't even fully believe and understand. Even the ones who were closest to him were part of, of this continued issue of this opposition. In verse 20 and 21, it, it talks about uh, this idea of the, his family. So he's, the crowds were, were causing problems. The friends were still not there for him completely. And then his family, his family turns on him and says, verse 20, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. To me, that's, that's so just unbelievable but that this is, this is an issue here, that Jesus' own family is not seeing him for who he is that they're all around, there's so many people coming to him because they want to see him for what he's doing, that he can't even take a break to eat. And his family looks at that and they're like, man, this is just wrong. This is just wrong. We need to go get him because he's out of his mind. He's going way too far. This is just not even right. And I think, how does a family get to this place? Does Mary not realize, um, back in, in Matthew and Luke, when in the scriptures say that, that the angel visited with her, and she, it says she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Did she forget that moment here, or did she just not fully understand what is going on? And this creates, again, just more opposition to what's, what's happening here in Jesus' life. The crowds, the friends, and now the family. I've had people in my own family ask me, why are you doing this? Why, why are you a youth pastor? Why are you a preacher? Why is that what you're choosing to do? Like you could do something else and, and and make so much more money and take care of your family in all these ways and they don't understand what it's all about. That they just didn't get it. But you know what? When my family says that to me, that's difficult sometimes. That's that's difficult because you you know they know you and they love you. And, and this person who, who one time came to me about this and it was just... Adamant that, like, there's something better. Uh, well, someone I was very close to, and I just said, Man, like, it just broke my heart because they didn't understand the purpose of, of what I'm doing. And here we see the same thing that they didn't understand what Jesus was all about. They may have just seen this as, as this is a hardship. Like, you're not even taking care of yourself, Jesus. Maybe that was a, a little bit of the aspect of this because they saw the crowds were just overwhelming him that he couldn't even eat that, that we're going to pull you away from this. Like you're just doing too much. But in any way that they weren't allowing Jesus to continue what he was there for in spreading his kingdom. And then we see the religious leaders appear. And, of course, the religious leaders of this time, um, they're having having so much problems of, of understanding why Jesus is doing what he's doing. They just, they can't seem to make it fit. And guys, I'm telling you, I I am one who's normally so hard on the religious leaders because I think, why or how, I mean, how are they missing this? Jesus is here. He's telling what he's all about. He's showing them by his power. But if somebody were to walk into here and say, let me tell you this whole new religion and let me show you by this power, of course, this person isn't going to be Jesus. So we, we understand that there's something greater happening here. But we would all have some reservations to something completely new. And that's, that's their heart. That's their problem. They're saying, we've trusted in this. And, and we've, we've, we've been doing this our whole lives. We've dedicated ourselves to this. And Jesus, you're wanting us just to, to throw these things away and follow you. And that's difficult for them to do. That's difficult for them to say, I'm going to leave everything behind and follow you. And I think that's why you continually see this, uh, because that's difficult for all of us. Whatever it is, there's always something that's in our way that says, I'm not willing to set this aside and just completely follow you. I'm not I'm not to that place. And that's kind of where the religious leaders were. They should have understood who he was. They should know the Old Testament that said this person was coming, but he didn't come the way they thought he should come. And so they're... Their faith in him was weak. They weren't fully trusting in him. And here, it goes beyond that. Here, they go from wanting to kill him to now they show up. And, and so they're going to just say, if we're not going to believe you are who you say you are, we're going to say you're of Satan. And that's the opposition here is that they, they try to say that, that who he is is of Satan. And it says in verse 22, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Belzebub and by the prince of demons who casts out demons. And he called them to him. And Jesus, he called them to him and then said to them, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself, Self and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder the house. Here we see Jesus, the, the scribe and religious ruler, saying, Hey, we don't believe you are the Son of God, so you must be of Satan. Man, it just shows their disbelief of Jesus. It just shows where their hearts are, that, that they're so far from trusting in this person, Jesus. And Jesus says that, that that doesn't even make sense. So here's what they do. They can't wrap their minds around it, so they say, you're doing these amazing works. Well, those works must be of darkness. Those must be of Satan. They, must, they can't be of God because if they're of God, then something's wrong with what we've got going on, our system. And so he says it must be this. And Jesus says, guys, a reality, this Noah Hill version, that's stupid. Like, that's what he tells them right here. Like, that's insanity. Do you understand you're saying that Satan is casting out Satan? <laughs> like, that, that what you're telling me is this is by the power of Satan, I'm casting out demons and harming the work of Satan. He said, that doesn't even make sense. He's like, if a kingdom would rise up, and fight against itself, and that kingdom wins, then they both lose, right? <laughs> because it's destroying itself. It, it, there's nothing to be gained from that. He's like, this doesn't even make logical sense that you would say that I'm from Satan because the works I'm doing are to go against him. The works that I'm doing are not to build up darkness. But to bring in the light, the works I'm doing is is to bring in the kingdom of God, not to to establish Satan's reign here on this earth. And so how can we even have our minds at that? Then he continues that thought to say, hey, if you're going to go in to someone's house, and what he's speaking of is one of the purposes he's come. To, to establish his kingdom over the, the rule and reign of Satan, to, to bind him one day. Satan and his demons will be bound and sent to hell for all of eternity that Jesus will win. He will accomplish all that, he's or all that he has planned to accomplish that God has willed for him to do. And so he, said, he says, man, if a strong man is in a house, you're not just going to go into his house and take his stuff right in front of him you're going to bind him up and then you can take what is his. He says that's what I'm doing here. Jesus is here uh, destroying the works of Satan, destroying the works of the devil in that his kingdom is coming and Satan is not going to get away and that one day he's going to bind him completely and fully establish his kingdom reign here on heaven or here on earth. And so he's like this this is unbelievable. And so he says this is this is how far you've went to this point. In verse 26, he says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of Dan, And while they're blasphemies, they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they are saying, he has an unclean spirit. Here Jesus talks about the unpardonable sin. There's so much speculation to what that is. People have so many ideas. And here we see the context and we see the understanding of what this is. And simply it is that right here in this moment, he is giving them a great warning say, You're going too far. You've got to stop this now because what is at stake is your eternity. You're going too far. Because what you're doing is you are saying, attributing to Satan, what is the work of the Holy Spirit of God to accomplish miracles and do amazing things to bring in the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that, that all the works that he does is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, that, that he does those through, through the empowerment of the Spirit because Jesus is, is God's Son, in the <clears throat> but human in the flesh. And we see this, that he says this is going... In, too far. This is taking it across the line because what you're doing is saying that you're not believing in the works of the Holy Spirit. You're not believing in what God's doing. I've got a friend named Dustin and, uh, and um, he, he's a pastor and, and I love what he said about this, this spot right here. He said, really? Just to simply boil it down and in the most simple form he says this unpardonable unforgivable sin is unbelief. What they're doing is not believing Jesus is who he says he is. They're not believing in Jesus. See, the work of the Spirit, Holy Spirit of God is to work into your heart and convict you of your sin. And then to take you to the cross. And at the cross, Jesus is to pick you up and take you to the arms of the Father. And it starts with the work of the Spirit of God in your life as he calls us and he draws us to him for salvation. The Bible tells us in John, he says, But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, talking about the Spirit of God, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The purpose of what the Spirit of God is do is to bring about salvation in the hearts of man. And if we're attributing the works of God to Satan, then then we are missing that. And so here's what's happening. He's saying the unpardonable, unforgivable sin is not something you just commit. It is your denial of Jesus Christ in your life. And what that's going to cause is eternal punishment. That's at what's at stake here. From the crowd's from the friends, from the families, to the religious leaders, not understanding, but there's those who do not trust in Jesus who will be punished for their sins. I love what R.C. Sproul says about this passage. He says, but the beauty of the gospel here is that it will never let it come to this. It will never let you do this. The beauty of the gospel is that it is preaching life. That is giving you the opportunity to accept and believe in Jesus. The beauty of the gospel is that it is taking you away from this. he says, and even greater than that, he said, once you do believe, it is the seal of the Holy Spirit that keeps that from ever being a problem again. And he says the gospel in the gospel that we do not have to um, worry about this unpardonable sin, the sin that leads to damnation. Because in Jesus. We have an opportunity, a chance for forgiveness of sin and trusting in him. There is nobody here today that is at this place where they cannot still trust in Jesus. There's nobody here this day that do not have the opportunity to believe in what Jesus is all about and turn to him and to salvation. The last part of this, which brings us all together, and I know like these stories, they're They're just different. For me, I'm going to tell you guys, I've read this hundreds of times this week. I mean, I feel like I've just continually read it and just saying, where are these connecting points? And every time I've come back to this idea is that that these things, although they were good and this ministry was happening, there were still things that were coming against Jesus in this moment. But what Jesus does is he faithfully pursues the will of the Father through it all. Every moment, every hardship, every time, all through scripture, the rest of the mark, you're going to see, even when his disciples are unfaithful, that he continues to do the will of the Father. And here in verse 31, it says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they went to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I know you hear that and you're going like, what is this talking about? But here's what Jesus is doing in this, this end of this passage, end of this, this connecting the dots. As he gives this amazing invitation, this is this beautiful understanding as, as, he, as he just has stopped the religious leaders to say, you're, you're about to cross a line. You can't uncross. But there's still hope for you. And then when the mothers and those who, who've already, his family who's already accused him for being out of his mind have come to bring him back in as he's out with the crowds again doing what Jesus has come to do and preach the gospel and teach the kingdom of God. And he looks around and he's not dishonoring his mother and his brothers because the Bible shows us clearly that he loves them and he honors them. But here he says that there's a greater purpose and that is that there's a kingdom family here. And so he looks around and he says, you guys who believe, you're a part of my family. You guys who believe, you're my mothers and you're my brothers and you're my sisters. You are a part of my kingdom family. That is why I'm here. I feel like... In that moment, Jesus' mother must have went back to when Jesus was 12 years old and she couldn't find him. She was desperate and she goes into the synagogue the temple and there's Jesus and he's teaching. She's like, what are you doing? He says, do you not know? I must be about my father's business. That, that There's this thing that's happening all around Jesus and his focus is never lost on his purpose and it's to bring people into his kingdom family. Margaret, as you come. And this, I think, is the invitation for us. This is where I think it draws us all back to what he's doing. Is that life will be complicated and difficult. Here, ministry is there's hardships and there's things going on. Uh, his friends and his family and, and his situations are just oppressing. I mean, he uses words like crushed, betrayed, um, out of his mind. Um, accused, like these things are happening in Jesus' ministry and all of this in life that's coming at him in this moment. And what does he do? He continually does the will of the Father. In fact, the invitation here is this. He says, in looking about those who are around him, he says, in verse um, 35, for whoever does the will of the God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. What is the will of God? 1 Timothy 1 tells us, uh, is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved, to come to a knowledge of truth. 1 Thessalonians says, the will of God is our sanctification. 1 Timothy says, it's It's our salvation. It's that, that we would believe, that we'd repent, believe, and follow Jesus. That's the will of God for every one of us. That, that we would come to that place where we call out to the Lord in repentance to say that I am not worthy because I am a sinner. But Jesus Christ, you've come to be my Savior. And see, we get to see the whole story. We get to know some more things that the disciples were just figuring out, that the crowds and the family like in John and Matthew, it tells us later that Jesus' brothers would believe. And they'd become a part of those who minister to others and preach the kingdom of God. But when life is crushing us, when, when everything feels so heavy and oppressive and that we can't keep going on, I think the place that we find rest and peace is to fix our eyes on Jesus I think that's what the invitation here is. He's saying, whoever does the will of the Father, don't take your eyes off of that. The will of the Father is that you would know Jesus, that you would come to him and you would find your rest in him, that you would trust in him. When life is difficult, Jesus' difficulties in his life, he can just continued to do what the Father had sent him to do. And when our life is difficult, sometimes there's not a good answer for it, believers. There's not. Sometimes it's not a good answer, but what we can do is learn to trust in Jesus. Like we, we learn to put our faith in Him and just continually fix our eyes on Him. It's just like me being in that airplane. <laughs> My, to, to see those who are in charge, to bring peace in, in, amongst the, the storm, um, to, to know that everything was okay, Believers, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we continually do what Jesus has called us to do, he's going to carry us through. We have to trust in what the Bible tells us. And the Bible says where that starts is believing in Jesus and following him. And I think that's what he's saying here. He says when he looks around, he says those who, who follow, who do the kingdom of God, who, who, who go after that, those are part of his family. Man, an unbelievable statement that, that he, we're a part of his family. There's, there is so much safety and freedom and goodness and just rest in that fact is that Jesus says, I'm here for you. You are part of my family. You are, you are who I am here for, and I am here for you. Because families love each other and care for each other. But this is what Jesus says. If it's difficult, if things are oppressive, if others have heard us, understand that, believers, you belong to the kingdom of God. And just keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you for the reminders that life is difficult and it can come from unexpected places. Even in the middle of ministry, even in the middle of, of, of Lord, just Jesus doing your work, even from those who are closest to him. But through that all, Lord, that, that there is a great purpose here. And, Lord, the purpose to establish your kingdom. And that same kingdom, Lord, is a kingdom that we all have access to through Jesus. And, Lord, I just pray that we be a people that fix our eyes on you. Or that when life is, is pulling us and pushing us away, or that we just continually to focus on you, Lord, and just follow after your will. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.